0: I'm writing in this little like trailer that someone left on the the place property where we rent. and uh, it doesn't have any heat, but and it doesn't have a bathroom, but it has electricity. So I go <laughs> with my like coat and my fingerless gloves and an electric blanket. <laughs> 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 that was the main thing. So it's good. It's good for me that way.
1: Everything but the electric blanket is very Jack London. When I, <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> I, can't, I can't really feel like like I'm being that hardcore because I'm just like, oh, I got this blanket <laughs> for Christmas
2: yay! <today."> so many,
0: <laughs>
1: so many,
2: so many damn books.
1: Welcome to So Many Damn Books. I am Christopher. I'm Drew. And we have Jenny Offill in the damn library, zooming on in to chat with us. Jenny is the author of the novels The Department of Speculation and Last Things and Weather, which just came out in paperback. Department of Speculation was shortlisted for the Folio Prize, the Penn Faulkner Award, and the International Dublin Literary Award. She lives in upstate New York and teaches at Bard University. And we're so excited to have you here joining us, you know, internet pipe style here.
0: (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Yeah no, thank you for having me. Is-
1: I'm always so sad in this current um, iteration of living that well. That's <laughs> I can actually just end that sentence here. I'm always so sad <laughs> in the current of, of living. No, but um, I'm really sad that I can't. We, we can't always um, deliver a cocktail, um, <laughs> at, or or drink cocktails with the people that we have on the show. But I'm still um, inspired to create cocktails based on the books I'm reading. So that has not stopped. It continues apace. <laughs> So this is actually my second cocktail that I've made inspired by your book. Because um, we actually discussed, me and my wife discussed the book on a special episode of this show at the beginning of the pandemic last year. Um, And so this is the second time and it's really nice to know that you love a Moscow Mule. um, (laughs) Because I also think that that's a really fantastic cocktail. And I was looking into them like, why is it called a Moscow Mule? Mm And I got a really interesting answer. Apparently, one, um, vodka is just, that they call it Moscow Mule, just to tell everyone that it's made with vodka. Right, Um, (laughs) sure. And and then um, the mule part of it is because it has a kick.
0: Ah, (laughs) (laughs) that's great. (laughs)
1: Um, And they're actually, everything, um, every cocktail that starts at, at the base with a ginger beer is actually called a buck originally, um, that it's a whole like genre of drink. It, no matter what you put in it, it's it, it's a buck uh, is the base thing. It's kind of like a genre, but I don't know. It's kind of like literary genres. <laughs> um, and so what I thought was really interesting about that was in 1890, you would order a horse's neck, which would give you a non-alcoholic ginger beer and lemon. And then they started adding alcohol to it to give it the kick, which is why they call it a buck. Um, <laughs> huh so i wanted to fancy it up a little bit because i do love the kick of a moscow mule so i got um reed's extra uh, oh, ginger really spicy to, to really really spicy and then i um also infused vodka with black peppercorns whole black peppercorns for five days um and those two things together already cause a huge kick but i also <laughs> Um, included um, half an ounce of lime juice and two teaspoons of freshly chopped ginger. Wow. um, That you muddle at the bottom and shake with your black pepper vodka and pour before you pour your ginger beer on top of it. And I'm calling it storm shutters. (laughs) It's almost on the way to a dark and stormy with how spicy I've made. It almost feels like I've made dark rum. um, And I really wish I was just serving this to you, but instead I'll just-
0: I know, I, I feel like describing it, you know, makes me even sadder, but. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. uh,
1: but everybody at home also is not getting to have a drink delivered. So Yeah. So. we're all on the same
0: <laughs> plane, I guess. Drink your cheap wine and listen. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever alcohol is in the house is just disappearing. I feel like um, my husband's aunt left like some something like marshmallow schnapps once and I was like I bet you drank that didn't you and he was like (laughs) (laughs) like no one's no one's admitting to it but
1: it's like it's it's gone now (laughs) to find it that's so funny what what do you like a Moscow mule how did you what what is it about that no
0: I just um I like spicy things Mm -hmm. and I think um I probably it's probably like that I had one when I was in my 20s, and on some like night that was exciting, you know? <laughs> I got it in my head that that's yeah. what I like to drink. Um, and they always had it, you know, it's like something that you can get at pretty much any bar in Brooklyn. Um, so, yeah. And it's also, I don't know, it feels like a drink you can drink in the winter, even mm-hmm. though um, it's a cold yeah. drink. It's not so, yeah, a lot of, I mean, I love a gin tonic or, you know, a gimlet or things like that, but sometimes those feel a little more like they're for the, I don't know especially the gin and tonic feels like it's for summertime
1: yeah yeah that makes sense to me i made a gin
2: and tonic the other night and i have to agree it was snowing outside and i started sipping it and i was like just
0: ah this is just wrong i'm know. i (laughs) gonna finish it but you want to have it but i was like "Mm, (laughs) yeah Yeah. (laughs) we were trying to think i i I used to have some old bartender book and i was trying to think like what are hot drinks like you know you hear about the hot toddy but what else is there to drink that we like cider and rum actually seems like but one of the best ways to go with some spices, maybe, yeah,
1: yeah. I was briefly considering making a hot version of this using yeah. ginger tea. and but you know, I think you really need that. um the bubbles i think the that bubbles, that, right? yeah. it lifts you all up and you get i i need some of those actual copper mugs to put it in because it the wow. whole idea is that it takes the temperature from the drink so that you have like a more seamless sipping experience this is mm-hmm. I, I
0: wow. ser- this is some this is a fancy pants drink if you drink <laughs> <laughs>
1: i searched <laughs> why put it in the copper mug why yeah. moscow mule copper mug which is fun google
0: Yeah, I remember when I saw that they had those um, copper uh, mugs at Target one time, and I was like, I need these for the one time a year that I drink this at home. (laughs) It was one of those things where I was like, I think I probably took it out as they were ringing other things up at Target. I was like, "Mm." (laughs) hmm.
2: Yeah, just slowly put it on the... Yeah,
1: Yeah. (laughs) you you succumb to the Target madness. I understand (laughs) that. Um, Speaking of Target madness um, and buying things, we should talk about uh, books that we bought. That's a transition. Drew, why don't you start? Um, I've got two. One is a book called Real
2: Bay, a cinematic essay. Uh, it's by this woman, um, Jana Larson. It's out from Coffeehouse Press. It's the, the blurb on the back describes it as equal parts, memoir, mystery, screenplay, and travelogue. And wow. I was more or less sold right there. Sold. I love- Equal parts?
0: <laughs> I know, the equal parts kind of throws me. Yeah,
2: <laughs> it sounds like it's, it is nonfiction. And so I particularly love seeing nonfiction that breaks boundaries. It just feels even more transgressive sometimes than when fiction yeah, does. Uh, and I'm, yeah, I'm I'm like, gonna be keeping track of like, okay, I think this is oh, is this both screenplay and travelogue? Like I don't
0: know. <laughs> have like a little box that you're checking. That yeah.
2: You're um, <laughs> and the other one is out from Two Lines Press, and it's a short story collection called Rabbit Island by yeah. Elvira Navarro, translated by Christina McSweeney. Christina McSweeney is the a translator who I'm just like, if she translated it, I'm gonna read it. I just feel like right. anytime I'm like, wow! I loved this book in translation, and I look and I'm like, oh, Christina
0: McSweeney. Yeah, no, some of those. Sometimes you can you can find a translator and just have a crush on them. Yeah,
2: <laughs> it feels very cool. It's like a new that revelation feels so new to me because mm-hmm. um, I feel like I'm still young in my reading translation life, yeah. and so it is exciting to just I I um I love what Two Lines does. They're a little tiny press out of California, and they. I've done some neat things about bringing new languages into English, mm-hmm. let alone new authors. And so it felt like the double whammy of like, ooh, not only do I like this press, I like this translator, great. Um, <laughs>
0: and and I like read
2: one of, <laughs> I've ready? read one of the stories so far and I loved it.
0: Oh, that's great.
2: And so, fingers crossed.
0: Yeah, yeah. What about you? What have I bought lately? Um, well, I'm trying to think what I've Oh, I bought, um, just because I, I realized I had lost it, I bought the complete um, short stories of Leonard Michaels. Um, and I bought um, a, um, what was the I bought one of the essay collections that I didn't have that was, um, it's not the new American essay, it's sort of like the roots of the essay that goes back um farther in time I'm trying to remember it's it um john dagata who does all those um oh yeah those recently and i just read an australian novel um can't say i bought it they sent it to me that <laughs> was called friends and dark shapes which was really interesting um it's kind of about it's about this group of friends growing up in um sydney and sort of like the gentrification of the neighborhood and all the different backgrounds that they have. So it was really kind of interesting to to see that sort of story, but set in a completely um different country, you know, like with, yeah. with similarities. And she's I thought she's a really good writer. So uh, her last name's Bedford. Yeah. That's those are my most recent ones, I guess.
2: Nice. Cool.
0: But my best thing is I get um I have a subscription to Wave um, wave books. Oh, cool. We just not very long ago, um, got like a whole stack of new poetry books. So that's going to be what I make my way through through soon.
1: So subscribing to a poetry press, that seems like a really good idea. I love that.
0: Yeah. Well, wave is, I mean, it's, I just think that the editor, I love their taste. (laughs) So, um, you know, they were the first to publish, um, they, they published, they published poetry and prose by poets. So they mm. were the first people to publish um, uh, Bluets many years ago. Oh, wow. And they publish a poet I really like who also writes prose, Mary Rufel. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a lot of good stuff.
1: Wow, that's great.
2: I didn't know that they were the first people to publish that, Maggie Nels. That's so cool. Yeah. Well, it makes total sense.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, um, I'm sure that that's been a little chug you know some books that are in your backlist you're like Woo-hoo! <laughs>
2: <laughs> Christopher what do you got?
1: I have gotten in the mood for a manga again every now and then the the mood strikes I, I got really into Death Note in college and then um this a few years ago I, I was into this one called Orange and this one um is called the Orin High School Host Club it was on one of these lists of 25 mangas if you want to get into manga. Um, And the description is just, in this screwball romantic comedy, a poor girl at a rich kid's school ends up working for the school's swankiest club and gets mistaken for a boy. Ooh, sounds good. Some pretty fun, yeah, uh, Manga I was, hijinks.
0: I was just watching, a uh, like an adaptation of Twelfth Night with my daughter because they had to watch a Shakespeare adaptation, and the sort of like, it's a boy, but it's a girl. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like it still carries like good narrative weight, you know. Yeah,
1: definitely, definitely. Um, and then I also got this novel um, called The Charmed Wife by Olga Kreshin, and so I guess it it's a retelling or. A, an imagining of Cinderella thirteen years after she's married the prince.
0: Oh wow! Um, mm.
1: And the the you know pull That's quote from fun. the thing says Cinderella wants her prince charming dead. Oh! So, <laughs> I don't know what that means, but I'm really excited. She had an incredible list on Electric Lit of um, children's literature from other countries that you should check out and um, we'll link that in on the so many damn books.com episode page um, because it's a really great list of some really strange um, stuff that I've never, never heard of before.
0: That sounds great.
1: Yeah. So I'm very excited to read Olga Gresham's The Charmed Wife.
0: (laughs) Is it actually going to have a murder in it or is it, is it, that's just the,
1: I don't know I, oh, yeah. I just got I hope it. so i really i mean i i really do, do hope she murders that prince and then has to like
0: yeah, I think that would be a good a good lesson for for all people
1: <laughs> well, I mean, she would probably know a pretty good way to do it. i mean the cleaning yeah. it's uh-huh. it's kind of like um my sister, the serial killer, there's the whole the cl- whole cleaning um aspect of it. It's
0: true, yeah, wow. I, I think one of the biggest things people are watching right now on Netflix is the Night Stalker documentary um, about that guy. Um, and I guess I, I feel sort of like people must just be like, mm, everything's really bad and there's a lot of things to worry about. I'm not worried so much about serial killers. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's what I can watch that will distract me. <laughs> yeah.
1: Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think this is the only time that two dueling Nixium cult documentaries could have been like as popular as they were. So
0: yeah, I totally watched one of those. That was uh <laughs> my husband said, You're gonna watch that cult documentary, aren't you? I was like, No, I'm totally not. And then like a couple months later, I was like, totally into it. Um <laughs> because I watched the really I looked at this list that was like which one you should pick. And it was like, Do you want one that's slow and doesn't get to the point but gets into all the psychological dynamics of how someone you know makes a cult, I was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then you, you sort of leave it at the end being like, I could just make my own cult, like right yeah. now. Like I could just, I, <laughs> now I understand how people do that. Cause this guy like read some science fiction thing when he was in 12th grade and then was like, scheming ever since to like make a horrible uh, world of, yeah, what he did.
1: I mean i just can't believe those sashes i feel like they're that's the thing that would make you turn, make me turn away right away just wearing and that you feel stupid like the sash.
0: sashes should have been like a that's... deal breaker for everybody yes and also like my daughter did do karate for a while so the part where you just be like this really is just like children's karate <laughs> <laughs> you know he was apparently a judo expert when he was 12 so he mm. uh I know a lot about him. <laughs> <laughs>
1: we should definitely talk about Weather, your your novel that um, <laughs> is out in paperback and um, contains no serial killers.
0: No serial killers.
1: For you, tell our listeners what you
0: say it's about. Oh, I should be good at this by now, right? Um, it's about a librarian who um, starts answering questions for a climate change doomer podcast and kind of pulls her into the world of um, apocalyptic thinking on both the right and the left.
2: I like that. Yeah, I mean it. So this is one of the last books that I read before the pandemic. I remember reading it and being like, "Yeah, man, the future seems scary. There's a lot. This this is stressing me out too," and then the future happened, and it's like, oh shit, um, it's it's even stranger and weirder. And I guess, I, I, what has it been like living with this book, like coming back to this book to do conversations about the paperback when so much has changed in a way that feels like it's both kind of in line with the conversations in your book, and also like, but it's happening to all of us now.
0: Right, right. Well, I mean, the, the things that were sort of interesting in the beginning, of course, like people would just ask me questions before, because I, I did a little bit of a book tour before uh, the pandemic hit. And, um, and so in the beginning, I was just talking about the novel itself and also about the climate stuff in the novel, and then the pandemic hit and um actually what everybody wanted to talk about was all the disaster psychology in the in the book Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. which i had read a lot of and the sort of deep dive into that and and why is it so hard for um at the time people were still um this is very early on this is like in march people were still trying to talk themselves out of how it was going to be a big thing and i was getting these phone calls from friends in new york I guess I had the reputation as like the doomer person. Like, <laughs> hmm, do you think it's going to be, you know, do you think it's going to be, I was like, I think it's going to be really bad. <laughs> do you think it's gonna, and, because I think that the, that normalcy bias, you know, that I, I talk about in the book, the incredulity response, it's like mm-hmm. whenever something happens that we don't already have a template for it in our brains, um, we just keep trying to match it to an, in, in something that doesn't exist. And we keep saying, if I can't find it, it can't be as bad as people are saying. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing that happened, I think, with the um, the rising like extremist elements. Um, I mean, what's happened too is that then there was the siege on the Capitol. And I was like, oh, now maybe some people are going to talk about that fascism stuff in the book. <laughs> <Because that's- laughs> Yeah, you know, that's like her other thing that she's sort of obsessed yeah. with. like so. Um, yeah, I got to talk a lot about like because um, I have like a little quote in there that's from the um, my friend calls him my my boyfriend, my this authoritarianism scholar Timothy Snyder, who I was giving away his book on tyranny to people for a while. Um, but all of those scholars were uh, you know they were super alarmed and sure that something bad was going to happen. Um, which it did. <laughs> and, um, then that's what I've been talking about in the last uh, couple of weeks. so it's been it's been interesting. I mean, the, I talked about the pandemic a lot, um, but I also felt very the, the pandemic was moving so fast, and it was it was changing that it felt really hard to I just didn't want to opine on it, you know, it was just like this tragedy we're all actually living through. I was like, I don't know. like I could tell you what what I was reading about and what I was thinking about with this book, but I certainly don't, can't write you a like pandemic journal for your... (laughs) Everyone who did that ended up sort of sounding like, I'm in my country house eating cheese that I had to mail order. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, you know, I don't think that was ideal really when all these people are...
2: I'm writing this from the trailer in the yard. I have my Christmas (laughs) electric blanket. (laughs)
0: Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I should have done that. I should have like, uh, just a fake, a fake out that I was, <laughs>
1: <laughs> I am fascinated that you were uh, giving out copies of on tyranny and, um, and you were reading like disaster psychology. Were you reading that for the book or were you reading that stuff? And then you're like, I, sh- you, I can't help, but put this in the book.
0: Um, yeah, if anything, I kind of, I kind of underplayed. I guess my <laughs> obsessive reading of that stuff, because, um, you know, from a little bit before the election, the first time the election of Trump in 2016, and certainly afterwards, I was just reading a lot about what was it like in a sort of pre-disaster moment or pre-fascist moment? What does that feel like? And there's a couple sections in Weather that kind of talk about that. You know, she mm-hmm. to talks to the war, Um, photojournalist and she's like, do we feel like a country at peace or at war? And he says, it feels like right before War and that's a physical feeling. And so I put the the, um, the on tyranny little bit in as one of the questions that she's asked. It says, how do I know if my neighbors will become good Germans? And because I was so taken by what he wrote that he was like, you have to you have to make eye contact with people right now. You have to know who's around you and be um, aware of kind of the emotional climate, uh, mm-hmm. that you're living in so that if that changes, um, you know about it. And so, I don't know, for some reason I was already writing about, uh, weather and I felt like that idea of like emotional weather and atmosphere was really interesting to me. But uh, to be honest, I kind of made it a lesser part of the book. Cause I was, <laughs> I thought I was going to overload this little 200 page book. If I put, <laughs> you know, uh, All the things I was instead of reading like prepper things after a certain amount of time I was reading like about, you know, how do you form secret cells if you have to like um, make your own Underground Railroad.
1: (laughs) Wow. Well, it seems like the, then people were right to call call you uh, when they were looking talking about doomsday prepping. and everything.
0: Well, I certainly didn't know anything about the pandemic. I mean, <laughs> it, it was more that that you just um, and they say that this is true that when people have lived through one kind of disaster, then they're they're quicker to realize another kind. And mm. so I think that that's just um, half of the thing with with any kind of emergency thinking is just admitting to yourself it's an emergency. Right. Uh, and you know that's why like even on 911 it was so hard for a lot of people to make that first decision that they should leave they were getting conflicting information but they also like our natural human response is like gather your things like turn off everything make sure you have your belongings because y- your brain thinks oh if i'm if i do the normal things that means things are still normal mhm right
1: i mean that makes so much sense to me i was really looking for normalcy when everything was coming down and like grasping at anything that felt like this is kind of like the stuff we used to do.
0: Right, right.
1: Uh, and I was also thinking about uh, a, there was a phrase in your book that locked in my brain as soon as I read it just like 80% just freeze it's in a disaster. Yeah. They, like people don't run around, they're crazy. 80% just freeze. And I kept thinking, am I freezing? Is this freezing? <laughs> mm. <laughs> or, or am I moving? Like, did am I the 20% or the 80%?
0: Right, well, and I mean, it's funny because I found that in different um, iterations, in all sorts of like disaster psychology cups, because there's disaster psychology that's like, I don't know, people getting lost in the woods. And then there's disaster psychology, like someone's on a sinking ship. But one of the things, the way that they sort of shorthand it is um, get off the X, like wherever you are, Mm. move. Um, Because it's like, that's actually their spawn. And and in evolutionary terms, freezing often worked for us. (laughs) (laughs) Like don't have enough information to understand the situation. I don't know if this is a predator or not. So I will freeze and try to figure out what's happening. But that doesn't really work very well in the kind of situations that, uh, you know, when we're in a lot of fear.
1: Yeah, yeah. department of speculation came out 14 15 years after your first book and then this one only took six um, what, what was the what what was the factor for for why this one came a little faster
0: um, they gave me an advance of money. <laughs> so instead of teaching, you know, at four different places and doing all these freelance gigs um, I just I had more time to write Um, it didn't really make the writing go more easily but it just meant that instead of um, having to wait until I had a summer vacation or I had a little downtime from teaching I was able to like be a little more steady about it which felt like a real luxury because I hadn't you know, I write a little bit about the the doomed adjunct in, in the beginning of weather. And I, I had I have been very much the like adjunct myself who was always like cobbling together lots of jobs and you know going from place to place. So it was very exciting to get um an advance for a book that wasn't written entirely yet, although it was also very terrifying. <laughs> I had basically just told people this like idea, which by the time I was writing it was completely different. Right. Really? Yeah. Cause I, didn't, I just ended that part up. I was like, I, I don't know. I don't know what the book's gonna be about. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Can you talk a little bit more about like what it, about the morphing of that?
0: Well, in the beginning, when I was first interested in in writing weather, um, I I had kind of gotten interested in this article I read that was in I think the New York Times Magazine, and it was called "It's the End of the World as He Knows It," but he feels fine because I am is always going to be quoted in this. <laughs> and um and it was about this environmentalist really well-known environmentalist uh, Paul Kingsnorth um oh yeah himself, also a fiction writer. Um and he at a certain point he just even though he'd been known as like this it, it, very well-known environmentalist in England <clears throat> he said I'm going to walk I'm going to walk away from this. Um I feel like a priest who no longer believes in god. And what he was basically saying was um I don't think that we have any chance of stopping um, climate change from being a complete disaster. And I'm tired of pretending that we do. And I was just sort of fascinated by this. I was like, wow, that's kind of amazing to do. And I have a friend who's somewhat equivalent like that, who's been working in this area for years. And I asked him, I said, what did you think of that? And he said, well, I mean, I don't think you should walk away, but those of us who really do the work, we've all known for like, a lot of, you know, several years, I think it was like since Copenhagen, the Copenhagen He said, we've all known that like, um, that, you know, you can't tell people the truth. And then I just started like really digging and I started to find these like science um, things where scientists would be talking to each other. um, And then they would have these like incredibly dark things they would say if they were under the so-called Chatham House rules, which means that you say you can say your affiliation or something, but you don't say your actual name to be attributed. Um, And I I couldn't kind of believe how dark the vision was that I was coming across. Um, So originally I was thinking the book was gonna be a lot more about how Lizzie, the librarian in the book, um, how she's trying to figure out why her mentor, who was this environmentalist, why did she walk away from everything? But then I just got more interested in other stuff as sort of happens to me when I write a book. So people would be like, that I told about the book, like, okay, so it's kind of about someone who like disappears. I'd be like, hmm. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. They want it to be, so they want you to be writing Where'd You Go, Bernadette. I guess. Exactly. Well, yeah, they're,
0: they're just, of course, everyone's always like hoping that there might be some kind of plot.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, this one does have more, Plot and um, <laughs> Department of Speculation, I would say. Um, is is that a is plot a dirty word?
0: <laughs> no, I mean I don't I don't think it's a dirty word at all. I mean it's maybe not the thing that I'm the most interested in when I'm writing, um, but I am really interested in momentum. I'm interested, you know. I think mm. of, like emotional momentum is really important to me to not feel like a book uh, that I write is like static. Mm-hmm. So. Um, the, you know between department and this book i think um department is such an interior book you know it's 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 mostly about a, a family and um you know the kind of breakdown within the family and i knew from the beginning that i wanted this book to face outward a lot more and be a lot more about um community and so i spent a lot of time in libraries i probably have like a, a you know secret wish to be a librarian so i i felt like I, I also noticed how much librarians do now. <laughs> they basically have to like hold together our incredibly frayed social net. Uh, so I just thought that that would be a way to kind of have these like stories come in for a little while and then go back out. And also to kind of, the thing that felt kind of ambient when I first started writing this book was this kind of low hum of like dread and conspiracy thinking, but I couldn't really put my finger on it. Um, and so that also felt like a way to kind of, you know, when you work in a job like that, you kind of pick up on on things that are going around.
2: Yeah, I really love that phrase, emotional momentum mm-hmm. in place of plot. Because I, it, hearing it, I'm like, oh, that's the perfect way to describe the way that this book moves. That there is this constant propulsion, but that's not necessarily coming from somewhere or going towards somewhere so Mm -hmm. much as it just is.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. To me that feels, I mean, I'm sure some people have really exciting lives that do seem more like plot to them but I mean, I feel like this kind of um, switchbacks of feeling and like moments where things take a turn that you don't expect um, for me are are often not like these big life changes altering changes but it's more about i mean if you had asked me 10 years ago if i would ever write a book that had anything to do with climate change i not only would have said no but i would have laughed I mean, (laughs) like no i mean you know i can't even stand to like open the environmental tab in the newspaper because it's so boring to me um (laughs) so you know so it's interesting like i was like i'm a very unlikely person to have become interested in it and um Indeed, like sort of felt like moved to write about it. Um, so I, I don't know. I feel like those are sort of the changes sometimes that I'm that I'm interested in, like how you go from thinking you're in. You know, in department it was like she's sort of thinking, how do I go? You know, I used to make fun of all these things, and now I am I am these things. Like, how does how do those moments happen? And are they always bad?
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Know?
0: Virginia Woolf said that that's one of the things about getting older that you you finally like take your place among humanity and like you you accept that yeah wait I'm part of this common humanity instead of like somehow holding yourself apart or or wishing to be um ironic about your um place in things
1: I I was thinking about like I feel like I've seen on books now it's that it's compared to Department of Speculation in the same way that books get compared to where'd you go Bernadette or something like there's this way of that you write that a lot of people have found helpful in writing their own work and I'm curious um, what are your feelings about the possibilities and limitations of the style?
0: Yeah Um, well of course I didn't invent this style Um, as as those of you that read um, European novels know um, it's you know there's long been a sort of tradition of these. Slimmer and what I think of as kind of walking around novels, um, Mm -hmm. where it's basically someone walking around and thinking about things and having (laughs) encounters. And so I've always just liked to read those kind of books, and I was interested, but they were almost always um, like a male character um, doing having this life. And I was just interested in like what would it look like if that was in the domestic sphere? What would it look like if she had other concerns? Um, So that was kind of so but i felt like um in terms of like other people deciding that it's um a way that they also would like to write um i mean the only thing that really bugs me is when people say that i'm like writing like a twitter feed because i mean the the very nature of twitter and what makes twitter like so fun to read or something i mean i'm not on it but i lurk sometimes is that it's the immediacy of it and and like the zeitgeisty part of it. But, but I take so long to write my books, that whatever little um, section or fragment I have, that sits a long time before I decide if it goes in. And I do feel like the one thing that is a pitfall with this kind of writing, is that you have to make sure that it's not random. You have to make sure that it's not that, oh, anything could go there. Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel like by the time I'm at the end of a book, I've, I've, moved things and, and checked over and over and over again if something holds. And it might hold in a, a way that is somewhat mysterious, almost like magnetic, but, but a lot of them don't hold. And then I take them out, <laughs> you know, I, mean. I think like, oh, that just didn't, that seemed like it was an interesting juxtaposition, but I take things out for basically two reasons. One, they seem too on the nose, like once mm-hmm. I get the book farther along, or they, or they seem, um, they do seem random i can't recreate what was the like slight associative leap that got me there so i think that's the pitfall really but the the um the joy of it i think is that you can kind of um there's a fleet-footedness to it um to be able to use um the kind of motion of thought and the motion of like compressed tiny um moments uh, i was thinking the other day like I guess i just kind of like the glancing blow like i like the like oh. you know. but then you're but then you're off and the, you know i don't know anything about like fighting or boxing but i just saw that <laughs> phrase and i thought like oh i kind of yeah i kind of, i'm kind of into that in terms of um you know what what you ideally are hoping for when you're writing something
2: i have a craft like a craft craft question and that is just as you're talking about these sections that you're Pulling in, or like you're you're wrestling with it. I have this image in my mind of, um, almost like Mary Robeson style, with like a bunch of things on note cards. Where like, how are you? Are you writing in these chunks? Or are you writing more long form and breaking it up? Like how how did you no, come I'm, to that structure?
0: I'm totally writing it in those chunks, and I'm also totally in debt to Mary Robeson because I once Googled um second book writer's block like suicidal or something (laughs) and um and i i found a story about how she had gone so long between books and that she said the only way she could make herself write was to write on index cards in traffic in la (laughs) (laughs) and there was something about that idea of like sneaking into writing when Uh you felt like you couldn't write that i thought was really interesting so i um I did start writing like small little sections. I also started reading um, more poetry and more, um, I guess what you think of as like lyric essays. Um, I don't think anyone really loves that term, but you know what I mean? That's sort of like hybrid and braided yeah. things. Um, and just thinking about like all the other art forms and how they use different structures, like in stand-up, you know, there's something called a callback. So like you bring something up and and sort of lightly, almost in passing, but then when it comes back the next time around, it has accrued more weight. Yeah. Um, And so, yeah, I guess I I sort of, um, I mean, Why Did I Ever is a book I love. Um, Mm -hmm. And the other thing she said that I think about a lot um, is she said that when she was writing it, she thought to herself, make it funny and all will be forgiven. (laughs) So so sometimes I think like, uh, it's just, if I I just have to make it uh, uh, funny, a little bit funny, and maybe that will help.
2: (laughs) There's quite a sense of humor in both of these books. And it's funny because so often the first thing that comes up is like, Ooh, they're intense. They're like, um, they feel these books. But I found that I laughed even in this book, which is, I mean, it's full of doom. (laughs) <laughs> there are
1: also just these,
2: these barbs, these, I mean, the glancing blow.
1: Oh, and literal jokes, I, <laughs> like, I love that, the runner of uh, these, these jokes that appear. Um, did, yeah. can you talk about them?
0: It was funny. I was just talking to a really good friend of mine from college who's, uh, and she said, I read, I, I read your last novel and I, one of the things i I was so surprised by was that there were literal jokes in it she was like you don't tell jokes like that and i was like i know i didn't i just wanted to i wanted to have the um character of lizzie be someone who almost can't she kind of compulsively has to sort of turn something into something that's a little funny to her (laughs) to make it um bearable and so i um i I had over the years, like noticed a couple jokes that seemed like weird and dark to me, (laughs) (laughs) or just like funny, like the time traveler one. And and so I just had them, I collected them. I didn't think I was going to use them. And then at a certain point I did decide that that was one of the ways, um, that was just one of the new forms I was going to put in this because I didn't want it to be just like department. So there's like the question answers and there's the Mm -hmm. jokes. and it was fun to play with the form of them and then i just found oh i, I know i had i found a kind of um, motherload of jokes looking at like old russian jokes people jokes that people made in soviet <laughs> era yeah. that were always just you know and that's where i found that really dark joke about like the different armies and what they do in the w- woods or whatever <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> now i also feel like i have to put things in a book because I, otherwise i don't remember them like if someone there's nothing i actually get more nervous in a social setting, if someone's like, oh, do you want to hear a joke? I'm always like, oh, no, no. <laughs> because there's that, I, I feel like very socially nervous for the person. And I'm like, I, I'll like laugh too soon or like be like, ah! you know, but even if it's funny, I probably haven't like waited till the end to like hear it being funny because I just find that the structure of it. Most funny people I know never would say, Oh, do you want to hear a funny story they'll never like front load it that way (laughs) right
1: (laughs) right it's crazy to set the expectation yeah why
0: set the expectation (laughs) just like you know maybe you're funny and and that's that's the luck of that what you said but
1: (laughs) you brought us uh, a, a classic book that um doesn't have too much humor um and, uh, no, it, <laughs> funny. and it's uh, Jean Reese's wide Sargasso Sea. And I was just curious what 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 brought this book uh, up for us?
0: well, i I had read this book um, you know, a long, long time ago. and i I am an admirer of Jean Reese's style. Um I think that she, I mean, I think of lines from her books at different times. Um, and then this summer, uh, my daughter was assigned Jane Eyre. And I, I said I would read it with her. I don't know why. And then I read Jane Eyre, and I was like, "Oh my god!" Like I did it. Like I, people love this book, but it was just not. It was. It was. It was. I hated it so much. I was so. <laughs> and it made me revisit this book, and um, because this book is kind of the prequel um, to it. it. Right. It's taking the mad woman in the attic, Rochester's wife, and it's telling the sto- her story. And um, Jean Reese shared a background of having grown up partially in the West Indies with um, Rochester's mad wife. And I mean, I feel like this idea now has been done to death in like modern fiction where it's like, hey, let's take a minor character and like make the story <laughs> about them. Um, but I feel sort of like um, there's so, so many lines that I remember from this book. It's like, there are always two deaths one is the first people know about and the other is the one that they don't see and she's she's so good on kind of the um like moments of emotional ruin in someone's yeah. life mm. and maybe you don't even recognize that that was a moment of ruin until later but you know how it all adds up to this creature in the attic um i think i was you know i also just wrote a introduction from Mrs. Dalloway. And I realized, like, oh, you know, all the books that I remember reading in my twenties are about like people going mad, or you know, <laughs> <laughs> that was like a big interest of mine. Um, yeah. So
1: do you feel that um the Mad Woman in the Attic was given justice by Wide Sargasso Sea? Like the did did Gene Reese
0: I don't know. I mean, I feel like reading it again, I realized there was, you know, it's hard right now. I think books, books that don't like address at all the, like this is, this is a colonialism story, right? So it's, so there's a way in which you can't kind of read it now without being like, I don't think she did Mm -hmm. um, really know much about the people around her or then. But I think that um, for me, what's, you know she says there's this line where she says like um, i also had not read very many books where there was a convincing um child's point of view mm. and the very beginning of it is is her as a child yeah and so it was a big influence for me on my first um my first novel because um there was just something kind of feral about the voice mm-hmm. that i really liked um but i mean i feel like it's a little bit like um there's that Ibsen play. I I can't remember which one it is, but like the woman in it slams the door at the end. And that, you know, at the time it was like the slam heard round the world. Uh And I don't really think at this point, this book can have the impact it had when it was published because, Uh, you know, there's feminist uh, histories that are called like the mad woman in the attic. Like there's so much that's comes in, but I still think that you, it, it can be a way to um, see like a, th- a sliver of a story, a sliver of a perspective, and then try to kind of go out from that. So I I, I still admire it for that and for the, just the language itself. Yeah, Definitely.
2: it's so, I, I I have never read it. I've always wanted to. And I, it's so interesting to think about like that point of the sort of, feminist shock of this book in 1966 Mm -hmm. i think would have been much stronger but then also i found it um i was surprised at how inventive it felt at like the prose and how i really for whatever reason i was thinking i guess reductively i was like oh it's okay it's a prequel to jane eyre so it's gonna feel like a bronte novel but set in the caribbean and like i sort of i expected it to be one thing and I was so blown away by the opening section, where it's yeah. the point of view of yeah of her
0: as a girl. I just think that I mean I think that her writing was so modern for when she. I mean, if you read like other earlier books too, like um, Good Morning Midnight or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, talk about these walking around novels. All those novels are usually like a a sort of aging dance hall go- dance hall girl um, alcoholic, um, wandering around Paris, having various like. Kind of lonesome encounters, <laughs> um, and so I think in the, in, in a, there's a certain. Um, I think the part where it's connected to Jane Eyre is my least. It's the least interesting part in a way, as I feel like what you're pointing out. I think the most interesting part is the beginning, which yeah. just has this kind of um, power to it. And I never, whenever I go back to read it, I'm always like, "Oh, nothing's as good as the beginning of it." You know, <laughs> like it's like one of the things where you're like, "Oh, I wish the whole book was this good." Yeah,
1: yeah, I, I definitely feel like I hit a wall with this book. Like the, when in, into the second section, I start to really lag. Yeah, and I think that you're helping me put a finger on why that is. Yeah, yeah. Um, you 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 sort of said that you wouldn't really be interested in this, but I'm curious now um, if you would enjoy the um, sort of literary homework or writing exercise of what book would you like to write a prequel or sequel to?
0: I mean, the funny thing is, I don't think I could ever imagine writing a prequel or a sequel to any book that I thought was great. Like I think that's just, like the nature of thinking a book is great. I would never believe that I should um, you know, enter that world and 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 create out from it. Um, so I'm trying to think if there's like a bad book. <laughs> that I of. Um, but n- no, I mean, I feel like um, I don't have much in, in general, like I don't gravitate towards historical, novels. I don't, my one attempt at writing something that was based in, you know, identifiable characters in time was I was, I wrote like, I don't know, for two years, a novel about, um, Nikolai Tesla and how he fell in love with a pigeon. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was all cause I came across this letter that he had written to the pigeon. That was like, it was about to his friend about the pigeon. His friend was concerned <laughs> and he goes, yes, I have loved her as a man loves a woman. And I was like, all right, I'm going to write a whole book about this. Um, then I discovered two years into it that um, a writer I'd never met before, Samantha Hunt, was had just finished a novel about this very thing, which turns to be a very good book. Um So I, I abandoned that project. And it, I think that and I've never, um since then, I've never had like uh, that weird I'm so slow with books that anytime I do anything that feels like it's someone else will do, mm-hmm. I feel like I have to, my books have to sound so boring. <laughs> like they, they can't have any twist to it. So if you're like, oh, it's about like a, a lady in Brooklyn who's like sad because her marriage is like not going well. Like, okay, fine. No one's going to be like, that So <laughs> feels so well-trod. <laughs> wow. um, yeah.
1: That's funny. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's, that's the way to look at it. And then I guess the other question that this makes me think of is, is is there anyone in your books that you would think like, Oh, someone might take them and write the other side of this.
0: Mm. I think he could write a pretty interesting book uh, novel about the, the war photographer guy. I think he would be interesting. And I think that her brother, you know has his own sort of force mm-hmm. field of, <laughs> of um of gravity and stories and and also like their childhood which is kind of um strange and religious and whatever i think there's a there's a story there as well but yeah nice. i don't know <laughs> <laughs> i mean i'm always impressed when people do that when they take a book uh, i mean i think elizabeth strout did that right she she wrote olive kittredge which is mm-hmm. a great book, and then, and then she was able to revisit it years later. Um, you know, I, every once in a while, I think to myself, "What if the? What if this character was that character?" You know, <laughs> right. like one day, I feel really excited, like, "Oh my God, I figured it all out!" And then it usually doesn't. It doesn't hold.
2: Maybe, it, maybe it will come to you like a couple books down the line, and you'll realize it's like a big web.
0: Yeah. You
1: know? Yeah.
0: Well, I do sometimes feel like this character, Lizzie, is just like what the other character would be like if she, if she hadn't been a writer. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, we've reached this point in the show where we always end up turning to recommending things yes. um, and recommending the, the works of other people. I'm very curious to hear what is on your recommendation slate, Drew.
2: Oh, I have two. One is a, a little novel in translation that I think when this episode is airing, it will have just come out, or it comes out next week, uh, called "How to Order the Universe" by Maria uh, Josea Ferrada. It's translated by Elizabeth Elizabeth Brier. Um, it's a very like cute little sort of. Um, pastel cover and it's paper on boards which i always love when tin house does Mm -hmm. but the the synopsis for the book um it's talking about this this young girl who's going around with her father who's a a traveling salesman in chile but they're only referred to by first initials Mm -hmm. and it for some reason it made me think of jesse ball's census Mm -hmm. and this is it is a On the one hand, it's a completely different book, and on the other, for whatever strange reason, my going into it with a little bit of that ghostly Jesse Ball thought in the back of my mind, I started reading it aloud Mm. and just had the most delightful time. It was just like the rare, weird reading experience where a bunch of things came together and then... I, I just I was so delighted with it. It's very short too. It's a, it's one of these novels in translation that you can sort of read it in a sitting, or you can extend it out in a way that's really lovely. Um, and the other thing I want to recommend is Your Duck Is My Duck, mm. uh, Deborah Eisenberg's most recent short story collection. It came out a couple of years ago. I had not ever read any of her work. I. I Always wanted to. I know her mainly as a performer because um, I'm very familiar with her partner Wallace Shawn and his plays. I saw her do the revival of um, the, de- the designated mourner, and I've always heard about her as a writer. And then I watched the um, the the Meryl on the boat movie, the Soderbergh yeah. movie. He um, wrote that. Mm-hmm. And I saw the I saw her name come up, and I was like, no shit. I think this is a sign Uh (laughs) (laughs) and i just i was so delighted i just finished reading it too just in time to revisit weather for this conversation and because when you put books next to one another you start you know those weird synchronicities happen the the writing felt very similar in just the way that like both books have these fragmented thoughts and can kind of jump around and the paths were like they were the ski paths that my brain wanted to follow. It just <laughs> felt so lovely to fall down them in the same way that I was like, yeah, I'll listen to this librarian talk about whatever. <laughs> um, and so I'm I'm very excited to now work my way back through other Eisenberg stories.
0: Yeah, you nice. know, I she has a story in um, Your Duck Is My Duck, uh, another better Otto, which I really love, which mm-hmm. I, I teach. Um, Sometimes, because it's just, and it's one of those stories you can just go back to, and there's always something, something new that you that you find in it. Yeah,
2: good
0: writer. Yeah.
2: Um, Jenny, how about you?
0: Um, I'll say we're we're talking books only, or what? What are we? Anything, anything. anything. Okay. Um, Well, I I went, (laughs) I've gone down some um, rabbit holes of television watching. um, One of which was watching um, this Danish show about a woman politician called Borgen, which was mm. in, became incredibly uh, soothing in the lead up to um, this election because the problems that they had in Denmark with their coalition governments. Also, she's a really excellent character. And the part where like at the end of the day, you know, she she's the prime minister and she just rides her bicycle home <laughs> because <laughs> Denmark. Um, it felt a little bit like going away to another place. Um, and But it's also very, um, I thought it was kind of nuanced about how um, just all the different ways people's lives um, don't turn out the way they think they're going to and how that's not necessarily a disaster. Um, so yeah, it was it was a really good, it was a really good series. It took me like a couple of them to be like, do I really care about this? Um, <laughs> but then I was completely hooked to the point that like when you hear the little bit of the music at the beginning, you're like, ah, oh, I feel calmer. <laughs> <laughs> the best I feel like someone needs world. to come up with that term that's like for me at least pandemic specific. When you're like watching a show for a long time and it's about to come to an end and you're like, oh no. I <laughs> uh, what will happen if I don't have a show to blot out the world. That's
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, so. uh, very true. Yeah. This I'm excited to watch this show. I was just thinking I like I need a show. I've started a couple and not been able to get into anything. Yeah. I think this is going to be it. Christopher, what do you got to tide us over till then?
1: Uh, I have a couple recommendations indeed. Um one my first one is that it's okay to quit books. Quit books that you're not enjoying. That's one of my recommendations. It, even if it might get better, like the the slogging that you have to do to get to that point, I just don't think it's worth it especially right now. Mm-hmm. Quit the book that you're not liking reading. It's fine. Yeah. It's number 1. So, I I just and I say that because I just cannot find a book to read recently. I just have not been enjoying reading anything, which is, I think, why I was so interested in reading some manga. Usually that helps. Um, So I'm not gonna recommend books. I am gonna recommend instead, there's this really great, stupid, expensive soda company um, that I have gotten into. They are um, the United Sodas of America is the name of the company. And they have these incredible, it's all naturally flavored sodas, They've got a million different fruit flavors, but my favorites are Blackberry Jam, um, Sour Blueberry, and Young Mango.
0: Young Mango. (laughs)
1: Young Mango. It's not old mango, okay? It's only the young kind.
0: I feel like you've got to be careful when you Google this or you're going (laughs) to get
1: it. UnitedSodas.com. You can buy like a um, variety pack. Great. Please sponsor the show United States of America. <laughs> I, I know I could make some incredible cocktails with these. You make
0: cocktails with them or do you drink them straight up?
1: Straight up. Also like just a little bit of gin mm. or you know like pick your poison with it because blackberry jam is great with whiskey. Um, young mango also fantastic with whiskey or dark rum.
0: Okay, I'm um, getting right off here and ordering some of that for cocktails. It's, so you, it's
1: so so good. You,
0: you, 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 I, they should sponsor you because you're good. You're good uh, salesman. <laughs> and then
1: and then the final thing I'm going to recommend is um you you kind of made me think of it when you talked about the theme music. I've been listening to as I work, um the Great British Bake Off music, <laughs> the string <laughs> music. Wow. They have like there's like a million tracks. Tom Howe um is the composer. Like there's a Spotify playlist of all, all of them, and it just makes you want to be whimsical and also sort of gives you a vague sense of like you need to hurry up, you only have four
0: hours. <laughs> That's funny. Um, I just saw, I've uh, for the first time in my life, I've been playing a video game, Stardew Valley, with my daughter, where I do imaginary oh. chores all day, chop wood <laughs> and uh, milk cows. It's awesome. Um, I don't like to do any of those things in real life. Um, and it, I noticed that it you could buy like an album of the music and I was like wow I'll know I'm really far gone if I'm like I need to not wait till I'm playing to hear the, <laughs> the music yeah
1: this is how I found out that I'm far gone with Bake Off that I'm just like I need to hear the music even if I'm not watching the show
0: <laughs> yeah no I, I I'm always trying to get everybody to watch Bake Off in my house but it, it no one's as into it as I am. I also just like how it's like the so opposite of American reality shows because instead of everyone being all like full of themselves and like, blah, 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 you know, everyone's like, well, it's a bit of <laughs> <laughs> You know, they all like, even if they win, they're kind of like, oh, I think my face is turning red. Uh,
1: <laughs> I don't, well, I think it helps that there's, they don't win anything. Yeah. They don't like, there's any no money. money. They, they win like a cake stand.
0: Is that um, all they win? Yeah. It's true. I never even, uh, Yeah, it reminds me of once when I lived in England for a summer and there was a game show that I swear to God was people with like an envelope doing calculations. It would be like, (laughs) I need you. And I'd be like, is this really all they're gonna do? And it was like a super like, that's just like, you feel like people have more patience on the other side. (laughs) I
1: think so, yeah.
0: Well, thanks for having me, guys. Thank you
1: so so much much for joining us. We really appreciate it. And um, everybody, we really, of course, the big recommendation is to go buy a paperback copy of Weather or Hardcover, if that's around, too. Two great Um, covers. Really great covers. And um, also, you know, if you want to rate and subscribe to our show, please do that on iTunes or or, um, Patreon support us there at patreon.com slash smdb and yeah we're just we're just so glad that you could come on the show and join us because this has been great
0: great well see you on the other side <laughs> yes, you <do>. stay warm <laughs> okay stay warm everybody you. bye-bye